Welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast where we rank every story from A to Z. I'm Adam. And I'm Zach and Adam. Hey, hey. How are we doing, Zach? It's so nice. I'm great because it's so nice to be here with you on this this blessed day. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to do one of my favorite things today, uh, which is um, harshly judge Dr. Hank McCoy. So I'm happy about that. Oh, um. I Hank. <laughs> I love Hank. I think Hank's great. I think Hank's a lot of fun. Mm. I think Hank is a complex character who's made some choices. Yes, we are going to talk about some of those today. Uh, hey, how was uh, Gem City Comic Con? You you just got back, right? Yeah. Uh, so I got back a couple of days ago in real time. Uh, again, because of how podcasting works. Yep, yep. It was good. It was a fun time. I got to hang out with Luke. Uh, I made no money. Uh, my panel turned into an interactive panel, which was real fun because it wasn't supposed to. <laughs> Did Luke wear the, uh, the reptile costume as he, uh, was, was planning on doing? Yeah, he did. Oh boy. So it must've been did, a real treat. I did have a guy ask why we called Heroes in Crisis 8 a bad comic. And I said, he said, I'm buying that. I said, did you read that issue? He said, not yet. I said, <laughs> Brother, <laughs> let's uh, let's uh, let's let's hold on. Sorry, don't want to spoil it for you, uh, but it's been out for a while. He was in Crisis Eight, not great. But do you know what is great? Uh, the fact that people request things on our show. Yes, especially this person, uh, because this is friend of the show and longtime supporter Nur Ravel. Nur has been a big uh, big supporter of the show since the beginning. And he's a good friend and good bud and nice to talk to. So, Nur, thank you. Yes, and uh, Nur, I think you you might actually be surprised by how I react to some of these things. I feel like I've uh, really come across as a beast hater uh, over the last year. And uh, I have some nice things to say about Dr. McCoy today. If I was was Dr. McCoy and I wanted to rebrand myself, do you know what I would do? Uh, would you, I don't know, experiment on yourself or perhaps like hang out with your evil clone, your evil self from another parallel dimension? What? No, I, I would go to the King's Island people and say, guys, I would like to rebrand your classic wooden roller coaster, the beast as uh, me themed and not just mine part themed. What are you talking about? <laughs> that was really specific. I'm not sure I was supposed to guess that um uh this is this is that good good uh what am i midwestern ohio accent and uh content that i know everyone here craves (laughs) um well what's our first story here that involves no themed roller coasters whatsoever it does it does involve the beast uh teaming up with his evil self among other things it is x-men endangered species Written by Mike Carey, uh, Christopher Yost, and Christos Gage. uh, With art by Scott Eaton, Mark Bagley, and Mike Perkins. 
This is a, it's an interesting format and not one we've run into much talking about this show. Yeah, this is separated over the course of uh, nine or eighteen different uh, issues as as either a standalone th- one shot or backup stories, right? It actually was only over seventeen issues. There was a one shot, and it was supposed to be seventeen eight issue backups. Uh, but right. one of the titles got delayed, so they just put two of them in the last two in the last <laughs> issue, which is fine, uh, you know, and. I got to hand it to Unlimited. Uh, it's pretty cool that they, uh, you can look this up by endangered species and you can read yeah, thank all of them in a, in a sort of playlist, which I really appreciated that <laughs> instead of having, yeah, to that's, that's a around. new feature. That's uh, a new feature of the Marvel Unlimited program. Uh, cause that wasn't the case in the past. Um, so this story happens right after House of M and uh, Decimation, right? So we're we're down to you know less than two hundred mutants on the planet Earth, many of whom mm-hmm. happen to still be our ex friends. Yeah, yeah, conveniently, whatnot. Uh, and it starts at a funeral, uh, for for a kid. Yes, but not nothing an, special. Not an X Man. Not a uh, not a student of the Xavier School. He got hit by a car. Mm-hmm. It was a tragedy. He was a mutant, so mutant kind is deeply upset to lose one of their own when they are such an endangered species. Up, and it kind of sets the catalyst for this is a super desperate time for mutants, and Hank McCoy is going to do whatever it takes to try and figure this out. Yeah, uh, he pretty much thinks that he can come up with the answer, and he's willing to go to any means necessary, um, and with some limits he he does display some real uh ethical boundaries in this story but it also it stretches him a little bit well i think that's the entire point of the story to stretch beast but then to also draw those hard lines for him saying nope this is not who i am this is not what i'm going to do it's a very (laughs) interesting character study and the eight issue or the eight page format allows it to jump around to a lot of different locales yeah. While still feeling pretty, uh, like a pretty solid narrative at each place. So he makes an offer to pretty much everyone. Uh, and by everyone, I mean all the supervillains who are good at science. <laughs> yeah, there's about a dozen of them that uh, he, he puts on FaceTime just to see, hey, anybody want to help out, help me out with my science project? And uh, he really doesn't have any takers. Um, but nah. he does manage through the course of these backup stories to bump into a variety of different people and most of the story is spent in the company of dark beast yeah uh dark beast uh for those who don't know dark beast is beast from the age of apocalypse where Mm. uh he just became a super amoral scientist i say amoral and i mean that in the sense of he has no moral boundaries he is deeply evil Oh, yeah. And they they go to graphic lengths to show you how evil he is by having Dark Beast install some of his memories into Beast via, what does he do? He drinks a vial of something? His liquid memory, yes. (laughs) Right. I've programmed just these specific horrific things that I want you to see. Um, It's wild. Anyway, they go grave robbing. Yeah. In Genosha. Which isn't good. Yeah. Uh, Oof. It's just rough. They keep pushing and they keep pushing. And Hank's learning this whole time that not only are mutants depowered, 
the X gene is gone. The high evolutionary says, hey, uh, this is magic. This isn't science. Uh, we can't fix this. He goes to Kavita Rao, who at this point is just the villain from Astonishing X-Men, and says, hey, uh, help me. And she says, literally all of my mutant samples are gone. Right. Like, they had the X gene in them one day, and they didn't have it anymore. Yeah, there's even he, a scene where uh, he hangs out with Bishop, um, which is, I guess, this is District X. Uh, District know, X, Bishop, time. yep. And, um, you know, all the vials of uh, mutant growth hormone. Is that what it is? No, it's it's not kick, right? What is, what no, is it, it's selling? MGH. It's MGH, MGH, right? Yeah, none of, none of it works anymore. Um, so he really does go to some, some surprising lengths and explores a wide variety of the universe to try and figure this out to no avail. And then he finds out that magic also can't work. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, the probably the most, I'd say the most impactful thing is when he goes to visit uh, one of the most productive X-Gene creators in the world, and that is, of course, Ma Guthrie. <laughs> That is a, a fascinating chapter of this story because he's just asking her to, you know, kind of help out. Like, here you are, you're a parent and you have given birth to all of these mutants as a human. Can you kind of help me out? And she's basically like, uh, no way, get off my property. Well, I get it from her perspective. Oh, yeah. She sure. lost a son uh, from Xavier. She's had all of her other kids go through so much trauma because of this. It's in her mind. It's look, if mutants are gone, mutants are gone. That's, that's what it is. And not that Ma Guthrie is not sympathetic to the situation because she is of course a perfect woman. Uh, but she's not interested in helping. She's saying, you know what? This is just the way things are. And it doesn't help them that Dark Beast does nearly kill one of the Guthrie boys. <laughs> yes, because uh, Dark Beast has no compunctions about hurting people or experimenting on people. So he just starts, uh, you know, while, while regular uh, original brand Beast is talking to, uh, to Ma Guthrie. Um, but I think that those conversations that are had in these backup stories, and there's only a couple of the backup stories that I feel like don't really work or tie in. Um, the vast majority of them really do a good job of keeping the storyline going, but they're grounded. Um, and they are about, you know, whether you need to, it beast does need to accept this loss or whether, you know, him as a scientist, as a researcher, as an explorer, does he need to keep pushing forward to figure this out? Is it even something that can be figured out? Um, and that's what makes it pretty interesting. And, and I thought it was pretty good. I thought it was pretty good. I don't think it resolves itself well. Well, I, that's because it, it can't. Um, uh, and unfortunately, because it goes on for these, you know, like, uh, what is it? 17, 18 chapters. You, you kind of want it to come to some sort of, I don't know, epiphany. And you it, want it to it come doesn't. to anything. Yeah. Because this is, so this is the lead up to Messiah Complex. So right. the X books were getting there. But the last chapter is Beast going to talk to Wanda Maximoff, who uh, doesn't remember anything about being Scarlet Witch, blah, 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 blah. Uh, and it's just this conversation that essentially says, well, maybe you don't want all the mutants to come back. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, it, and it, it's it a downer like, ending. Yeah. 
I mean, it's the whole nothing. thing is the whole thing is kind of a downer. But uh, you're absolutely right that it, it it is left sort of just ambiguous at the end as to did Beast come to any sort of conclusion as part of this arc? Um, he has to walk away from it just to end the story. But um, it, I don't know. It, it does contain some really interesting nuggets, um, including a, a little section where they show you different dimensions of Beast, including one who I guess is dressed like a bishop, uh, like a like a Catholic bishop. Um, and mm-hmm. is asking the Inhumans if the Terrigen Mists can solve their problem. Um, to be fair, <laughs> to be fair, at this time in continuity, Quicksilver was repowering people using Terrigen Crystals. Fascinating. Fascinating. Um, yeah. But there's these little... It little did go bad for them. There. It did go bad for them, just I to be clear. can't imagine why or how. Um so there are these little things sprinkled throughout this that I think are really fascinating. And I like the dynamic between uh, Hank and Dark Beast. I, I think that, you know, as weird as it is, they have a really good back and forth with one another um, yeah. in agreeing to work together. Yeah, the story is at its best when those two are bouncing off each other. Yes. One thing I also really like about this is when Mike Carey is writing that first one shot, mm-hmm. he does that Mike Carey thing where he reevaluates the X-Men's mission and all of the status quo saying, hey, was this really the best idea the whole time, guys? <laughs> yeah. Should we really have been, you know, serving up child soldiers uh, for decades? And uh, I, I also appreciate that... Um, in in Mike's writing, uh, we get a chance to see Jamie Madrox essentially volunteer to br- start a breeding program to repopulate the, the Earth with mutants. And Beast is okay. like, uh, "No, you can't do it that way." <laughs> and I believe I believe this is before that one story in X Factor that I don't don't really want to talk about mm. more than that uh, okay. with the Madrox baby. Uh, so we have no way of knowing just how poorly of a plan that would be. Oh boy, jeez Louise! Yeah, that one's that one's gonna be rough chuckles when we uh when we get, get to there it. There eventually. Um... Well, we we have control of this list. We can choose. <laughs> we maybe can avoid it. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, but I think this is an interesting story. I think from an art perspective. Uh, nothing jumps out to me. Scott Eaton and Mike Perkins especially have a very similar style. And mm-hmm. M-Bags is doing a very good job being a chameleon here. Like, yeah, he doesn't he, stand out as Mark Bagley. No, he's he's not doing his style, uh, essentially. It's it's very interesting. But, um, you know, the art is fairly consistent. There's a couple of, of um, backups that don't really fit in as well as the rest. But... It's, you know, it's relatively consistent and um, none of it takes me out of the story. It's pretty good visual storytelling. Yeah, it's this is this is probably about as good as this story could have come out to be. Sure. But at the end of the day, it's a bridge to set a tone and mm-hmm. not to tell a story. Right. Well, they it, are it doesn't, stories it, that are leading up to a, a you know, a multi-book crossover. Um, it's and it, it's getting there, yeah. yeah. But uh, which is weird though, because I I don't really necessarily know what to compare it to on our list of two hundred and nineteen X Men stories at this point. Yeah, we have a lot of them. Uh, we've got like Days of Future Past at number one. Uh, at number thirty, we've got Chamber one through four. 
At number 75, we've got the Uncanny X-Men Acts of Vengeance story. At 112, we have What If the X-Men Had Stayed in Asgard. At Let's just jump right down to 150, which is A plus X number 5, where Iron Fist and Duke team up and Loki and Mr. Sinister team up. Uh, number 200 is Star Trek X-Men Next Generation uh, Second Contact. Solid. And then <laughs> the, the Draco's at the very bottom. So there's a lot of different stories on here, but I agree. It's it's difficult to compare because it's not bad, but it's not great. Uh, for what it's worth, I think it's definitely lower than the uh, Mike Carey X-Men Legacy from Genesis to Revelation oh, uh, at 44. Yeah, no, I was looking much lower. Um, I like this story, but I agree with you that it doesn't ultimately... It serves its purpose... Um, and it works as a standalone, but it does leave you sort of wanting there to be a little bit more of a conclusion. So, um, let me ask this. Yeah. Is it better than number 108 right now, which is the rogue miniseries from the nineties? No, I don't think it is. Okay. No. Uh, I think it's better than number 125, which is exiles one and two. Okay. All right. And Um, I, I, I probably think it's better than the hellfire saga at 116. I think that's fair. Um, I, I do like the conversations that are happening here. You know, like the, the ethical quandaries that are being debated in this uh, are, are really interesting. And they, they're good character work with Beast. Um, mm-hmm. So we're we're in the, the right realm. And I think there's some similarity here to what we saw in 109 with Childhood's End, um, which is New X-Men 20 to 27. Um, I like I like that story better. Yeah, I do, too. Uh, do you think this is better than this is completely unrelated, but at one thirteen, the generation next arc of Phalanx Covenant? It's like right there. Okay. I don't know. Do you think it's better or worse than that? I think I like Phalanx Covenant Generation Next, Bishop Volume One, and Madripoor Knights better than this, which would put it okay. at one sixteen. Then it's one sixteen. That's what it All is. Right. Uh, it's a great spot for it. X-Men Endangered Species. Yeah, Thanks for requesting that one there. Out. It's an interesting story. It, it is. And if you like Beast and uh, you like, you know, ethical, scientific, <laughs> magical conversations, uh, check it out. Very cool. It is. Now, the next story we have to talk about is wild. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, this one is written by uh, Aaron Nascenti. Yep. Uh, with pencils by Don Perlin and some very good Bill Sienkiewicz covers. You got it. It's Beauty and the Beast. Beauty and the Beast, which is uh, Hank McCoy. And who's our beauty here? We got Daz. That's, we got Dazzler. That's right. Allison Blair. That's right. And Dazzler is going to get taken for a ride here, people. Uh, because she is about, in her desperation... Uh, because she's been outed as a mutant, and everybody apparently hates her now. Uh, yeah, Dazzler the movie sure happened. She basically gets drugged into a uh, underground fight club, uh, underground mutant fight club. Yeah, we gotta talk about that. <laughs> so, so, Dazzler is, she's down on her luck. Yeah. Uh, which, here's the thing, I'm always trying to figure out how famous Dazzler is at any given time. 
oh, it varies greatly. She could be on world tour. Her last album could have bombed. I'm always wondering when she even has time to record an album, to be honest. Because here's the thing. Here's the thing. If we're going to take Dazzler, and I've not read, I've not read the uh, original Dazzler series, so shame on me for that. However, she's not introduced as a superstar. She's introduced as someone who's trying to make it. Right. And she eventually does make it, and it gets big enough to do Dazzler the movie, which bombs, and then she goes back to obscurity. But, like, she seems like she would be a one-hit wonder in the 70s, maybe, and then... <laughs> All of this weird stuff. I I don't understand it. Yeah, it's tricky. You know, like, how are you a a, a multi-platinum music star when you spent the 80s in Australia and everyone thought you were dead? Um, But, (laughs) I mean, it obviously it worked because when she comes through the Siege Perilous, she's, you know, living in a mansion and uh, she has her own, you know, she has Guido for security. Well, that's, that's... is she borrowing Guido? I, we're getting completely no. She off topic. she she washes she washes up naked in amnesiac on a uh, Lila Cheney's beach house. Yes. Lawn. Okay. That I'm I'm think I'm remembering this wrong. None of that happens in this story. Though. Oh no no. Uh, we here we have uh, our underground fight club. We have the Heartbreak Hotel, um, which is sort of a halfway house for mutants and. Man, this is a story. Did, did we yep. also mention this involves Dr. Doom's son? <laughs> so here's the weird thing about that. Doom is on the first cover. Yes. He's in like the first six pages, mm-hmm. ranting about how Doom is like a god and that no one is, uh, you know, fit to be his child. Which I don't know when uh, his actual son, Kristoff... Uh, shows up in continuity because i'm not a big fantastic forehead uh but <laughs> fantastic forehead uh but <laughs> uh but yeah that this this doesn't this didn't age well with continuity uh but anyway he shows up then disappears allison blair starts shacking up with this guy named alexander flynn mm-hmm. i think uh and they do this whole thing. Uh, he gets her addicted to drugs and hanging out with these people. She also starts hooking up with a beast who is just bored and visiting Wonder Man and is oddly obsessed with Dazzler. Which they have this. Yeah, it's it's weird. I mean, and he he kind of proclaims himself her savior, and then there's this forced romance that doesn't really make sense. Yeah, they become true love, like. Page three or whatever of them meeting each other. <laughs> right. Um, and, you know, I, I'm under the impression that she's under some kind of influence for the majority of the story. Um, given the fact that she ends up in a Native American headdress at one point and, you know, is, is being controlled into these uh, this underground fight club arena. Yeah. Let's talk about how this escalates. Uh, it starts with her doing some drugs. Right. And then hanging out with some ugly mutants, like Rocker. Uh, and then living in this hotel. And then immediately going to... By the way, everyone in Hollywood knows about this secret underground gladiator arena where everyone <laughs> kills each other. Yeah. And it's a big thing. And there's all this talk about honor among these gladiators and how this is the only place they can really feel free. 
uh, with the physical violence. And Beast is trying to say, no, come back to me, my love. And Dazzler's like, I want to murder people now. This is what I want to do. What's great about it is that when it's pitched to her originally, it seems kind of like she's going to go do an off-Broadway show. You know, they're like, yeah, this is this is like underground, you know, it's real art. This is going to be like very artsy fartsy. And then she's like, oh, I get to battle to the death. Let's do this. And uh, yeah, it's a bit of a switch. <laughs> Literally everyone's emotions in this comic. Like there's no build up. It's just I feel this way. Now I feel this opposite way. Um. Yeah, and I, I'll say that the characterization of, of both Beast and Dazzler seems wildly off to me. I, I recognize that at this point, Beast is, you know, part X-Man, part Defender. Uh, we're pre-X-Factor here. And, you know, we're still sort of more Dazzler a la her solo series than we are Dazzler, Uncanny X-Men, Aussie X-Men. Um, but even with that, I, I just don't have a good handle on who these characters are in terms of their relation to their, you know, greater continuity. It, it's still strange. You know what? Now you're making me think of something. Oh, you're making me think because this series wraps up in like March of 95 or 85. Okay. So that would have been just a, I'm curious if this was part of them starting to uh, figure out how to do this X Factor, X Factor team was going to work. Because Dazzler was one of the original that, thoughts on that. Yeah, that was the pitch, wasn't it? That instead of Gene, there was going to be Dazzler. They they were jumping back and forth about Gene and Dazzler for a while. Yeah, uh, until they came up with a sufficient way to piss off Chris Claremont. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's. Like there, there's art with Dazzler on the team, so I don't know if, I don't know if this was a chicken or an egg situation or what, but it's just it's a weird setup. Also, Doctor Doom's kid is actually secretly behind the whole thing, and Beast and Dazzler do have to fight him, uh, but then Doctor Doom just comes in and stops it. Yeah, it's it's pretty anticlimactic. Doctor Doom shows up and is basically like, "Hey, why are you cosplaying as me?" Uh, and then <laughs> Beast and Dazzler hold hands and say let's get out of this weirdo place and that's that's how it ends um i don't even know if i would recommend checking this out it is such a weird 80s oddity um it, you're you're right that it has these beautiful sinkevich covers um but just such a strange strange story about like a hollywood morlock group that kind of went terribly wrong it it does it does the innocenti uh essentially preaching in a comic book thing oh sure yeah uh but it's preaching very much like the new mutant summer special it's preaching a very weird message its message is like fame is like maybe maybe we're all really watching all this violent television and it's corrupting us and we're just gonna want more and more yeah i don't know this this is not like uh as preachy as nocenti can get you know um we're somewhere in between like the the more nuanced subtlety i mean i say nuanced subtlety but her da- her daredevil run um which you know eventually where daredevil has... fights a vacuum and fights an ultron <laughs> yes and ultimately like you know has to go and fight mephisto uh in hell 
as Daredevil. Um, you know, like where he pretends to be Bullseye and then Bullseye pretends to be him, and then Bullseye and him start having a fight, trying to figure out who's really the other person. I really and love... everyone loses uh, <laughs> loses their sense of self. I love Nascenti's Daredevil run, um, but we're not we're not quite as preachy as as say New Mutant Summer Special. So we're somewhere in between. Um, you know, if you wanted to learn about this Fight Club, because it does get revisited in New Mutants, um, yeah, you might want to check this out so that you know what that was all about, because this comes out before that. Um, Look, I know there's people who really like this miniseries. Yeah. I don't. I just can't find the link. Like, I think there's cool concepts here. I think the idea of the Heartbreak Hotel in particular is kind of interesting, um, we've seen other iterations of like underground mutant fight clubs. Um, I think we saw one in Colin Bunn, Colin Bunn's, uh, Magneto, um, in, in some of the early issues, but nothing like this. This is very cartoonish and, and almost silly. Yeah. It's a weird concept and I don't care for it. So it doesn't sound like you like this very much. Um, I'm, doesn't sound like you like it very much. Don't be pinning all this on me, man. No, no. Um, strangely enough, I like have this in floppies, and I don't know why. Oh, I have it. I have all these. Yeah, yeah, I have this one. I'm not really sure why I own this, but because um, you gotta, because you saw it, and you probably saw all four floppies there, and you're like, "Well, this is this, this, if I can have it." <laughs> I I have this thing where if I can find like the the oddball minis and and one shots, like the, those are like my bread and butter. You know, I don't. Oh need, yeah, dude. I don't need thousands of issues of of single month floppies from you know the the original series all the way through. But if I can find these weird, you know, one to six issue things like Fallen Angels or Long Shot, like I'm there for that. Yeah, dude. This weekend, I bought. I found all of X Men: The End, all three oh, series. Wow. wow. In floppies. That's great. And and the CB Sabalski as Akira Yoshida and. Chris Pacello uh, AOA series, which is bad. <laughs> X-Men The End's also not good, but it's absolutely buck wild. Oh, man. That'll be a fun one to uh, to talk about here. Um, I... Anyway, this is... This is... Is this... How low is do you this... want to go on the list here? Because I... Is it better or worse than Summer Special? Which is currently at... That's at 177. That is definitely better than this. Man, Summer Special actually, I thought it was doing much worse on this list. I think we've just talked about a lot of bad comics. Oh no, it's, it seemed to have risen uh, up in the, in the pool just based on the fact that there have been a lot of bad stuff. Uh... <laughs> I'd How rather about... read London Burning. I'd rather read London Burning again at 187. How about this? Is it better or worse than Poptopia, which also involves a pop singer and, uh, you know, a romance between a pop singer and another mutant? I think it's worse than Poptopia, but not that much worse. All right. I think we're in the right realm, though. Like, below that is Pride and Wisdom. Also, this is sort of a weird romance thing. This is better than Pride and Wisdom and better than Heroes for Hope. So I think I think that's exactly where it goes. Perfect. As 197. All right. New 197. Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, and I'm real sorry. I'm real sorry. Did I ever tell you that easily my most awkward creator interaction was with Anna Senti? 
I, I, I think you, I don't know how much in depth you've talked about this on the show though. Uh, I asked her cause I, I was scared and dumb and I don't know why I was scared. Innocenti was at a convention. Uh, her table was two, uh, flyers for her series the seeds with david aha uh that i think they had just come up with the logo and the title at this point uh but then i asked her about uh spiral because <laughs> i was talking about spiral on my next thing and she said oh, i don't know i had i don't remember anything about that man i'm sorry i can't help you there you go she al- she also didn't remember because uh luke uh was with me at that show uh, and he brought his Acts of Vengeance omnibus for her to sign because of that Daredevil fighting Ultron story, oh, which yeah. also she said, I wrote this? Okay. <laughs> I believe you. Uh, that's what happens when you write a lot of comics. You know, it starts to blur together. Uh, uh, you know you know who else wrote a lot of comics, though? Mm. Jim Starlin did. Wow. Wow. We are going to review a Jim Starlin comic book here, guys. Um, you know Jim Starlin. He's Thanos' dad. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you've seen Endgame now, Zach. What'd you think? I, I viscerally enjoyed it while I understand it had so many flaws. Halfway through the movie, I like multiple times I leaned over to my wife and said, this is like a super weird movie right <laughs> it is a very weird movie like as a as a structure this is a weird movie yeah it's very enjoyable um but definitely worth dissecting um because there's been a lot of a lot of think pieces written over the last week that have been great um but i i think ultimately i still jim starlin's in that movie jim starlin's in the movie yeah did you not know that no who, who where is he is this a spoiler uh, I mean, like, guys, skip ahead 30 seconds. It's not, like, spoiler-spoilery, but let's say, you know the first twist that happens in the movie? Yeah. Uh, This will spoil that. So, anyway, y'all good? Yeah. Y'all good? Yeah, all right. Okay, so you know the therapy scene? Yes. Uh, Jim Starlin is one of the guys. He's the old guy in the hat or something. I didn't know that. That's so cool. Jim Starlin's there. I guess that wasn't really a spoiler, except for that there is a therapy-based scene. That's not really a spoiler. I don't think that's a spoiler. It's not. It's not. I... Anyway, let's move on. (laughs) Well, why in the heck are we talking about Jim Starlin? Jim Starlin doesn't write X-Men, does he? Nah, Jim Starlin did write one of the first comics I ever bought, which was Silver Surfer Volume 3, Number 50, the one with that chromium cover of the Silver Surfer flying towards the reader with Thanos in the background, all like, ho, ho, ho. That's a good run. I mean, go back and read that Silver Surfer run leading up to... I've read that issue, I've read that issue a ton, and it's pretty good, like, it's real good, never read that whole run. It was a pretty... It's good. Confusing starting place. I'll just say that. You know, it's very confusing, as well, as most Jim Starlin Cosmos stuff is. But this is not a cosmic story. This is the X Factor special, Prisoner of Love, which is a standalone Perfect Bound one shot. Um, yeah. Here's how I'm going to start this. I think. Uh, anyway, Jim Starlin and Jackson Geist do this, but I want I want to read you a quote adam yes please be- like because this. because i think this really sets the tone i'm a cute little furry freak whose only friends are other freaks of course all of them can pass as human is it any wonder that sometimes i get the blues 
that wasn't meant to be a pun. So Beast is talking like he's in a noir book the entire time. And he's very sad about how no one will love him and no one will have kids with him. Regardless of the fact that uh, I'm pretty sure him and Trish Tilby are an item right now. I thought the exact same thing. Um, it's October of 1990. Him and Trish Tilby are totally a thing. And how crazy is it that this comes out in 1990? 1990. This feels like an 80s artifact. It this is, feels like a late 70s artifact. It, like this is. It is so bizarre. So should we should we just do a quick run through of the very very light plot here? So we know the beast is you know. Feeling blue, not a pun. Uh, he's feeling blue. He's wandering. That wasn't meant to be a pun. Right, wandering around uh, New York City in uh, you know his thing getup. So he's got his hat and his trench coat on. He is Raphael from Ninja Turtles. <laughs> he's shouting "damn" into the night, um, and he stops a mugging. And the woman that is you know I guess you know under attack basically the mug e turns yes. out to be some kind of cosmic entity that holds him hostage for the rest of the issue. Her name is Sifnia Niap. Oh, that's a fun one. And you one. say, yeah, you say holding hostage. I say they are engorged in love uh, with one another for weeks, question mark? For what feels like weeks. But yes, Beast is head over heels for what... You know, he considers to be the most amazing woman uh, he's ever seen in his life. Um, from panel to panel, I can't figure out which actress uh, Jackson is trying to capture. There's there's one panel in particular where it really looks like Daryl Hannah. Um, but the rest of the time... I, I thought you meant of the actress. Like, of uh, the, the woman, not of Beast. Oh, no, no, no. No, I do. Uh, I, the, the... Wait... Daryl Hannah, like the like the SNL guy? No, no. Um, uh, from Splash. Who um, am I thinking of? Yeah, hold on a sec. Daryl Hannah from Splash. Uh, you're thinking of uh, Daryl Hammond. Daryl Hammond. Yeah, I am. I'm thinking of Daryl Hammond from Saturday Night Live. Wow, those are two very different people, man. <laughs> I was like, that's not what Beast looks like. He doesn't look like bad Bill Clinton, but okay. No, um, and it's the bulk of this is just them having these sort of makeout sessions that are interrupted by weird psychedelic artwork, and you have no idea how long this is, the, what the time frame is. Um, it's weird. It, the even the art is very strange um there there's in particular there's a whole scene where she's dressed in this weird jazzercise outfit um with a an ace of spades um logo over across the the tank and it's it's just strange like I, i'm wondering what led to this creation like i i this is a weird one that i would like a backstory on Oh, yeah, we also haven't talked about the fact that Cynthia is actually uh, this being of pure light and cosmic goodness in the world, uh, whose entire mission is to stave off the advances of the Dark One. Yes, and this uh, is where the, it gets... The embodiment of all malevolence in the universe. Yeah, it gets very Jim Starlin, and so really the entire plot here is not just to, like, 
get Beast to fall passionately in love, but she needs Beast to jump on this guy at a certain time so that she's... Oh! Right? Like... Also, we forgot to mention, uh, to, to steal a phrase from Dr. Strange Love or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb, she's stealing his vital fluids. <laughs> yes. <laughs> his precious bodily fluids. Uh, and all of his energy, because she is a sex vampire, which I believe is called a succubus. That's accurate. That is She's accurate. like, she's a, she's a succubus, but also an angel? It's ill-defined, and the conclusion of this, where the, the dark person fights against the, dark one. the two the of dark them, one. Uh, it ends with, like, a giant crystal smashing through a volcanic volcanic blast like i I don't even know oh yeah because she's also a crystal sure she's an angel crystal succubus sure um and at the end it turns out that uh that it it all just happened in the course of an afternoon um and maybe it was all a dream well except she bit him and he's gonna remember that bite uh very fondly which i think is just gross um (laughs) If you're going to get a romantic souvenir from this misadventure, is it really going to be the fact that she drew blood from your hand? Um, but I, it does double down on the vampire aspect of the of the uh, story. Uh, yeah. Do you want to? Do you want me to tell you the most bananas thing about this? Please make this more bananas. It's already so bananas. This is not her only appearance. Wait, what? She shows up again. In what? In a Ron Martz written story a year later as a backup for Silver Surfer Annual Number 4, Part 3 of the Korvac Saga. Uh, in a story called First Love featuring her and Starhawk. I am going to track that down. <laughs> oh, I, I am so wanting this to be on that app. Uh, Prisoner of Love is not on marvel unlimited and i wait hold on i said starhawk which is what it says here uh but actually it's eros you know thanos's brother oh yeah yeah thanos's weird horny brother yeah wow oh my gosh this sounds like fun fun's one way to describe it um yeah i I'm almost at a loss for words with this particular thing because it just, it's so bizarre and it has elements of Jim Starlin's, you know, cosmic writing. But at the same time, it's this weird romantic sexual story that does not connect on any level, you know, like we were just talking about how in Beauty and the Beast, Beast doesn't really seem like Beast. Here he seems even less like Beast than he did there. And again, he's falling head over heels for a blonde and it's just weird. Like it's scene after scene of them in this apartment. And like, I get the idea that it's supposed to be much more psychedelic than it maybe is. I, I Yeah. I don't think of Jackson Geist as a psychedelic artist, which might be part of the problem. No, it's also weird that this entire book, like before every page turn, Beast has just finished having sex. <laughs> Every single page is post-coitus. 
it's it's a lot it's a lot and and because she's on almost every page it almost looks like this is like jackson geis's sketchbook of his favorite model you know like i I, kind of yeah like it's like he had a couple of sessions with her and here she is in her robe here she is in the weird jazzercise outfit and here's here's 30 pages of that and i don't know it's just not something i like looking at no this is this is you know how we talk about some stories being bananas but we love them yeah this isn't one of those you know like no this is something i totally understand why it's not on marvel unlimited um because it's actively nonsense yeah yep now we do have two stories that i think are are kind of similar um we have the first volume of x factor one to six down at 208 um we also have crimson dawn at 209 why do we have morlocks take manhattan at 206 did we hate that that much it's bad it's really bad. I mean, I mean, it's a McHale think, story think, about like mass suicide with some very I bad know. characterization. I know. I see. Okay, here's the here's the thing. I 100 percent believe what we said at the time. <laughs> I think more fondly of that story than I do this one. Same with Phalanx Covenant. Life. No, wait. Life signs is bad. Life signs. <laughs> life is signs is real bad. Life signs is pretty bad. Um, I mean, I'd rather reread Crimson Dawn. Yeah. Yeah. Would you rather read the first six issues of X Factor? Yes. Yeah. All right. All right. So we're going lower here. Um, better or worse than Magneto Rex? Pretty much about it. Magneto Rex is kind of better, I think. I think it's better, too. Um, I think Eve of Destruction might be better at 213. Yeah, this is strangely on par and in terms of quality with the uh, what if Wolverine was Lord of the Vampires during Inferno <laughs> and X-Men 100th anniversary special. Yeah. Like, these three form a very good triumvirate of very bad nonsense stories. Yeah. I think you would probably argue that the 100th anniversary special is worse than this though. Wouldn't you, you really do hate that issue. I do hate it. I do hate it. Like all three of these are bad, and they're bad in equally bad ways. I think from uh, a craft perspective, though, that what-if story might be worse than this. Like, Then let's put it in front of it. Let's put it just as our new 214. Yeah, that's good. The, the less said that's... about this, the better. <laughs> yeah, guys, Prisoner of Love uh, is not Jim Starlin's best work. Whew, it is uh, not. Man. Uh, we can see the, the reaping of the rewards of his best work on the screen. Uh, however strange they are but uh, this is definitely not something you're gonna want to track down unless you're an x-factor beast fan completist and you just have to check it out but it's odd yeah guys this one this is a wild one Mm. i do want to track down that silver surfer annual oh yeah uh because uh no this isn't the corvac saga this is the corvac west oh this is this is the sequel to the Korvac saga. I didn't know there were two. Now I'm learning. Uh, I mean, look, man, I'm kind of just going based on the fact that the Korvac saga didn't happen in 1991. <laughs> uh, I'm talking like I know what a Korvac is. I, I, it could be a car. Korvac, Korvac is like Avengers Proteus and oh. also the Guardians of the Galaxy 300 or 3000 Proteus. I think, again never read it yeah it's on that app it's on that app (laughs) know what i'm doing right after this i have a bunch of freaking 
Oh my gosh. No, 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 no. Hold on, hold on. We're doing this in real time. Is the backup there? They only have they only have 30 out of 64 pages I on that app. When they do that, just do the whole issue. Drives me nuts. It's <sighs> probably just for how things are digitally collected. Oh my gosh. I know. I'm going to I'm going I'm not going to check it right now. I'm going to check Comixology. But man, much like the beast at King's Island, this has been a roller coaster of emotions. <laughs> Some very weird beast stuff today. So, uh, Nier, thank you again. Uh, th- that was a good one yeah. to get us started. Y'all, if you want to be like Nier, go on over to patreon.com slash Files. You can throw in any amount of money you want. But if you throw in at least $2, we'll make an episode about you. Well, not about you. About something you pick. And it'll be fun, probably. <laughs> I thought that was fun. I thought it was fun, too. And I also thought that if you'd like to have more fun... You can uh, follow me on Twitter at Xavier Files. You can also go to XavierFiles.com where I have all the latest and greatest of uh, X-Men articles and news and bad fan theories and uh, discussions about the definitely legally not X-Men TV show Mutant X from the late 90s, early 2000s. (laughs) Oh, fascinating oddity. Yeah, that's going to be up by the time this episode goes up, I hope. Nice. I didn't write that. Friend of the show, Trent, uh, Sealy did. Uh, he's good. He is Anyway, good. Adam. Yeah, Adam, what do you got going on? Uh, guys, you can always follow me on Twitter at Arthur Stacy. I've got new pages of Bish and Jubes, the cross-time conundrum coming out every X-Men Monday at adamrec.tumbo.com. Uh, and I haven't mentioned it in a while, but um, I, I'm doing a Patreon recently. Um, where you can get sketches in your inbox every day. If that's something you would be interested in, go to patreon.com slash adamrec. I'm doing sketches. I'm doing the uh, smooch X-Men smooches infographics every month. Um, and the higher you get, the the more rewards there are. So uh, if that sounds interesting to you, check it out. I I do like seeing Adam's <laughs> sketches every day. Thank you, Zach. It's fun. I hit the like button when I like them. Or if I remember, mostly. <laughs> Positive feedback's good, and everyone enjoys it. Uh, doesn't everybody like their back to be pat just every every once in a while? It's nice. And if you want to pat our back, maybe leave a review on iTunes or tell a friend about this good, good show that we do have. What are we talking about next there. week, Zach? <laughs> oh, next week, we're going to talk about the hunter. Ooh. You know him as Nimrod. Nimrod. Uh, he He's the greatest hunter among men, and that name has been ruined thanks to one uh, Bugs Bunny. So, got that. Uh, but it should be fun. We're actually going to talk about a story that we've been planning on talking about since the like initial planning session of this uh, podcast. Yeah, I think it was one of the first things we talked about doing, and we never got around to it that, until hey, now. Might as well be now, right? It might as well. There's no time like the present. Never. And by present, I mean next week. <laughs> But until then, guys, this has been Battle of the Atom, and we hope you survived the experience.